Hey, everybody. We're here. Hi, Jill. How are you? Hi, Jill. Good morning. Good morning. I'm just going to introduce you now that we have the picture. They know already who they're Skyping with. But um, this is Joel and, and Rudy James in South Africa. Do you wanna, hey, guys. Do you want to tell us just about your kids, Daniel and Rebecca, and how old they are? Just a little bit about what they're doing right now, too. Sure, we'd like to uh, just, if it breaks up a little bit, we can uh, cancel the video. We have a slow connection, so you just, uh, you let us know what you guys want to do. But uh, we have two children, Rebecca and Daniel. And uh, Rebecca is, how old is she, dear? 18, I think. 18. <laughs> <laughs> she's 18 years old. Uh, she's in the States right now. She's in Oregon um, with staying with Ruthie's parents. And she's working and trying to save money so she can attend the master's college uh, starting in August. So, so Reps is in the States. And then our son Daniel is 17, and he's here with us in South Africa. And uh, he's the technical producer on our side today. Thank you, Daniel. Why don't you go, guys go ahead then and just start telling us a little bit about yourselves. I don't even know if you've ever been in Mindset for Missions before. So if you could tell us um, what kind of a home you were raised in and how you came to know the Lord, each one of you tell us. That would be wonderful. You want to start? You go ahead. Okay. Um, I was actually born and raised in Argentina in South America. And I had the privilege to uh, grow up in a Christian home with wonderful parents that loved the Lord. And from a very young age, I heard the gospel. I was challenged with the um, realization that I was a sinner, that I needed a Savior. And as I was growing up, I think by the time I was 12, I was uh, a true believer and I loved the Lord. I also had the blessing of growing up in a church who taught me to love the Word of God. So uh, from a young age, um, that was um, something that I, I was blessed with. And then when I was uh, 17, my mom and dad moved to um, California. And um, a few months after we arrived in America, we started to attend Grace Community Church. So that was a great blessing. We loved the Spanish um, department. This is in 1986, so it's a while ago. And... Um, by the time of 1991, I started to work at Grace Church as a secretary for the Spanish pastor. Oh, wow. So you were one of the secretaries here. Okay, Joel. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's that's exciting. I, I don't know if I knew that. Anyway, um, Joel, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I grew up in uh, South Dakota, that area, and... Uh, uh, my parents are also believers. Um, when I was young, when uh, second and third grade, we spent two years in South America. Uh, my parents were with Wycliffe Bible Translators, so we lived in Quito, Ecuador for a couple of years. And so uh, um, so uh, international missions, I guess, was kind of imprinted on me from a very early age. Um, my parents were both saved and uh, went to good churches. I also heard the Word of God and had parents who were faithful to preach the Word to me. And so, uh, as far as I know, I became a believer at a fairly young age as a child and uh, just uh, grew in that, walked in the ways uh, uh, that my parents taught me until I uh, 
uh, until I went off to varsity, went to the university, or that's the university, went off to the University of Nebraska and got involved in a very good Bible teaching church there and uh, decided that I uh, wanted to give my life to, to preaching the Word of God and serving God's people, shepherding the flock, and uh, ended up at the Master Seminary in uh, August of 1990 and met my wife there. and She was the prettiest secretary at Grace Church, so I decided I'd go ahead and, uh, and marry her. <laughs> Well, I'm sure she was the prettiest secretary there, and I thought it was a very good idea because she seems like she's been a wonderful wife for you, too. Absolutely great. Yeah. We were actually smooching here on the couch before. Uh, <laughs> we love to hear that kind of stuff. You know, it's all women in here, so we always love to hear any kind of romantic, romantic things. In fact, why don't we just ask you this question? Um, it was unplanned, but what is what is the thing you most appreciate in each other? So, you know, Rudy, you tell me what you appreciate in Joel and vice versa. I just, um, Joel is a very faithful man, uh, faithful to me, faithful to the Lord, faithful to the church. Um, he is very loving, and he's just wonderful. I just <laughs> love him. <laughs> I think his faithfulness and his perseverance through through everything. So I really admire that in him. Hmm. I appreciate about my wife uh, a lot of things. When I met her, when she was a secretary for uh, in the Spanish ministry, her whole office was covered with Bible verses. I mean, everything they had these posters uh, hand that she had uh, drawn by hand and so on, all over with Bible verses from Isaiah. And so I knew this was the girl for me. <laughs> Uh, from the beginning. Right? So, you know, lovely brown eyes and, and lots of Bible verses from Isaiah. That was the quick way to my heart. <laughs> and she still is that. Uh, just today, she was, this week, she's teaching a Bible study for the ladies here. And so she's working on the book of James. And uh, I wish the preachers that I have in my preaching classes uh, were as diligent as students uh, of the Word of God as Ruthie is. And so uh, uh, I've just always loved her for her love for the Word, her cheerful, fun loving disposition, everything, and her, her nice brown eyes. That, that's what I do. Well, that's more than one thing, but I guess that's okay. That's <laughs> it's hard to stop. Well, that's wonderful. We're very encouraged today by you guys, just your love for one another. So it sounds like you both um, may have spoken Spanish when you met, um, just having that in your backgrounds, right? South America and Argentina and all that. And um, how did you end up in South Africa? <laughs> As we wouldn't today. If we were uh, we were in Grace today, we'd definitely end up in South America. There, there wasn't that much happening in South South America when uh, uh, when when we were at Grace Church, and so um, we ended up in South Africa really uh, because South Africa was was hot at that point. Uh, John MacArthur was on the radio here and had been for many years, for about twenty years, uh, the Grace to You broadcast and. And uh, he'd done a couple of trips here. He did a trip uh, to South Africa in 1992 and then another trip in 1994. And um, in 1992, when he did a trip, uh, the, a lot of people here asked him if he would, you know, if Grace Church would consider planting some churches here in South Africa. And so he went back to, to, uh, to talk to the elders of Grace, and they sent a missionary here for, uh, um, for about nine months. And out of that, 
uh, a uh, our church that we pastor, Grace Fellowship in Pretoria, and then a church down in Johannesburg as well, about an hour away. Uh, those two churches started uh, out of that, so they didn't have pastors initially. Um, then John was going to make a trip back in in uh, in July, August of 1994, and I had just graduated from seminary, and so. Um, so we uh, we came along uh, on that trip to meet the churches here and consider uh, coming back to South Africa. Uh, I really wanted to do uh, to do pastoral ministry, love to preach, love to shepherd God, shepherd God's people, but also have an opportunity to um, to train men because I've got a little bit of seminary professor lurking down in my heart as well, and so. Um, so South Africa was a place where I could do that, uh, and uh, the opportunity came up right away. Even though I was fresh out of seminary, our church was uh, it was about 25 people, most of whom were high school or college students, and so they didn't really care that I was 27, newly married, and my wife was 26, and uh, we didn't have any experience at all. They thought we knew everything, <laughs> and so it was very uh, it was uh, it was a very easy kind of uh, fit for us, and so. Um, we we talked even before we got married about the possibility of going overseas um, because Ruthie was born in Argentina, obviously, and I'd been to in Ecuador as a child, and and so you know it wasn't hard for us to go somewhere else outside the United States. That wasn't a big deal. We knew that life um, existed outside the United States, and it might be a little bit different, but that just wasn't a big deal. So so South Africa just happened to be hot. Um, Ukraine was also uh, was also kind of a hot spot then, and Albania. And uh, South Africa just seemed to fit what I wanted to do as far as both pastoring and training men. So, so that's how we ended up here. The other, the other, uh, the other side of that is there weren't any churches in the United States that wanted me, and so I was happy to go anywhere that would take me. And uh, they were keen to get get me here in South Africa. Well, I'm sure they're very blessed to have you, and I know they know that too. So. Well, why don't you tell us just a little bit about what it was like to move from the States at that time to Pretoria and maybe just any of the cultural differences you may have noticed, you know, things that we might find interesting. Yeah, we've been here 20 years, so um, things have changed a, a fair bit. When we first came, it was just after the uh, the elections uh, the elections where they moved from the, the apartheid white government to a, a generally elected government happened in April 1994. Uh, and so our visit was just after that. And then we arrived permanently in January 1995. So it was, it was a kind of uncertain time in the history of South Africa. Nobody was quite sure what was going to um, what was going to happen to the country. Would there be a civil war? Uh, and so that never really bothered us. Uh, we just, you know, we're happy to come and serve the Lord and God takes care of those kind of things. Just not, not our problem to worry about. And so it wasn't that hard of a transition. Uh, Pretoria, where we're at, is a, is a very Western kind of city. And so, um, you know, if we didn't drive on the wrong side of the road, you, you, you would hardly notice you were outside of uh, suburban United States. Um, you start to scratch below the surface a little bit, and and things get a bit different. But it wasn't that hard of a transition for us. Uh, I think again, a big part of that was we both lived outside of the states previously, and so that just made it a whole lot easier. We were happy to accept whatever um, whatever life was like here and embrace that. And and there was a loving group of people. Ruthie already had friends among the ladies here. Yeah. I think our visit in '94, and we met the people in the church where we came back to in '95 made a big difference because we made friends and they were loving and caring so it was 
kind of coming back to people we knew already. And that made the transition a little bit smoother for us. Well, that's great to hear. I'm really. And so, cultural things, uh, you know, Ruthie and I were trying to decide if we even, you know, after 20 years, we don't even notice really anymore. <laughs> yeah. We're very South African now, yeah. I think. <laughs> they drink tea, and that's just, uh, it's horrible. Muddy brown water, you know. It's uh, wonderful. Yeah, my <laughs> wife loves it. But yeah. Um, so, really, we don't even notice that sort of thing. Um, I yeah, it's others maybe it'd be a bigger issue, but not not so much for well, us. Well, I think you brought up a really good point: is that um, Ruthie hadn't been raised in the states, and I guess you weren't really raised in the states either. So you were probably after you know already adjusting to a second culture, you know whichever one that would be for you. Then you know a third one isn't as hard, right? That's mm. right. Yeah. Yeah, Ruthie's always, she says she's not sure what country she belongs to anymore because she's belonged to three. And so um, her, her citizenship is in heaven. That's what we've decided. That's that's her home. Uh, but uh, we decided right off the bat when we came to South Africa that we weren't going to compare. We weren't going to worry about, you know, prices here versus prices in the States or what we might or might not have, you know. Um, we, we just, you know, we just kind of set that aside and said, life is here. We decided that from the moment we got off the plane. Um, and so we made that transition in our mind somewhere over at the Atlantic Ocean, you know, <laughs> before the plane landed. And so that just was never an issue. Um, you know, I miss American sports a little bit once in a while, but, uh, you know, I can keep, that's what the internet's for is to keep up on my Nebraska football team. Uh, so uh, other than that, uh, it wasn't that hard of a transition for us. Oh, that's very wise. I'm glad to hear that. That's wonderful. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the national religion there in South Africa and just a little bit, too, about the African traditional religion? I kind of Googled this on the Internet, but I thought I bet Joel could explain it much better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll give it a shot. Uh, I'd say the national religion of South Africa would be Christianity, um, plain and simple. About 80% of the people uh, in South Africa would say that they're Christian. Um, I would say about 8% of them live like they are, um, but the, the bulk of the people here would say that they are Christian. And so um, the, that brings some challenges with evangelism, of course, if you grew up in a part of the United States like I did, where in the, in the central, north central United States, uh, uh, where I went to high school, you know, everyone was a Christian, everyone was a Lutheran or something like that, and so, so it was hard to evangelize because everyone thought they were already saved, and that's a very similar thing here. Most people grew up going to church. Um, the, the church backgrounds uh, vary from kind of an old line, kind of dead denominationalism to, to the extreme of the charismatic movement on the other end. Um, if you've uh, listened to the Strange Fire uh, sermons, I'm sure most of the ladies have or read the book, um, you'll remember that uh, um, John, Pastor John and others emphasized that in other places in the world, uh, you know, somewhere around 90% of the charismatic movement is, in fact, the health, wealth, and prosperity, kind of the extreme sort of end of that. Well, that's very true of South Africa. And so, um, so there, are some, there are some good, you know, solid uh, churches here that are doing the right kind of things and preaching the Word of God, but uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of dead wood on, on the vine as well. 
Um, so most people would say they're Christian. Uh, ATR, African traditional religion, of course, is something different. That uh, that would include a lot of ancestor worship and a lot of ritualism uh, that would go along with that. Um, God is kind of a, they all believe in God, but God is a distant force, uh, something like the force of Star Wars, uh, kind of an impersonal God that you don't ever really have contact with. You, you don't really pray directly to him, and he certainly doesn't love you, and you don't love him. Uh, God is more a power to be manipulated or tapped into, um, and uh, they do that through their shamans or the wizards or the witch doctors. Um, and uh, and the way you get uh, the way you get uh, help from some kind of higher being is you is you 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 have contact with your ancestors, uh, and so you talk to the dead ancestors and and. Um, through the witch doctor, and you know he'll give you a prophecy or tell you what uh, um, what uh, um, what the what the ancestors are saying, and they have a lot of rituals that go with that. Uh, if you remember in Galatians chapter uh, four, for example, and in uh, Colossians chapter two, Paul talks about the elementary principles of the world. And in those passages, he's talked about kind of a, a ritual approach to religion and life, in which you, if you, you know, you, you, in the Jewish system, if you if you sacrificed the right lamb or the dove, or you know, you, you you kept the Sabbath and you did your kind of rituals, everything would be okay. Or in the pagan systems, you cut off the chicken's head and sprinkle the blood in a circle, or cut open the goat and you do something with the liver. You know, um, that's uh, that what Paul is rebuking that kind of this idea that you can manipulate life and the world around you and he, he uses that phrase specifically the elementary principles of the world and he rejects that sort of ritualistic pagan approach um, to life. Well that describes exactly what uh, ancestral worship and and the traditional African religion is about. So when I talk to my African friends who are believers and uh, I was sitting with one uh, guy once and I said to him, you know what, it just struck me, and we were talking about Galatians, and it struck me, I said, you know, that passage probably means infinitely more to you than it means to me. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, it means to me the same kind of thing it would mean to a Jew, um, that I was trying to, out of my, in my ancestral worship and so on, I was basically trying to save myself by the prescribed rituals. You, you pour out water or beer, you wash your hands in a certain way, you have to put certain herbs in the, in the, in the, in the, the tub of water that they wash their hands at at the funeral and all that sort of thing. He said, yeah, that was exactly what my life was about. And he said, the freedom of knowing Christ, not only to have my sins forgiven, but to be freed from all that ritualistic nonsense. He said, yeah, it's absolutely overwhelming. So, so um, that's, that would just still be very strong in the rural areas and to a lesser degree in the urban areas in Africa. And so South Africa is kind of in transition where a lot of the black Africans are, are moving away from that. Um, either they move from ATR, African traditional religion, to, uh, um, to some kind of uh, uh, health, wealth, and prosperity because the theology is basically the same just with Jesus added. Um, or else uh, they, they worship materialism and just reject uh, the religious side of it altogether. And so... Um, so that's kind of where the traditional African is at. It's in transition. Like I said, it depends whether you're in a rural area or an urban area. You'll get more or less of that. But it's still very dominant in the African culture. You know, I have heard that um, sometimes uh, someone who has been raised in the African traditional religion will become a Christian, but 
just to kind of keep all their bases covered, they'll they'll still mm-hmm. worship their ancestors. And do you deal with that a lot in your church or, you know, in the training center you're involved in? Is that something that you deal with or is that something that you've heard of people having? It, it certainly happens. Yeah. Um, you know, most of the black families in our church have made a clean break uh, from the um, from their traditional religion. So that's not an issue. But uh in many churches, that is a major issue, and it's normally not an ongoing thing. It's usually when they get into some kind of uh, some time of trouble, when there's some you know health crisis or financial crisis. There's a temptation to to kind of do a book of Hebrews thing, to go back to the old way, to the old system, and and that is a very strong um, strong temptation for believers coming out of ATR because it. Uh, uh, it's it's just I mean it's what they've known for their whole life and so they're still not quite sure if they can get to God directly. Um, they know what the Bible says, but they've been taught their whole life that it's, God's not like that. And so that is some place or that is a place where uh, where a good shepherd, a good pastor, has to help them make that break and teach them to trust God and trust Christ actively in the midst of trial and struggle rather than kind of defaulting back to that old system. That is a problem in in some churches, yeah. Well, um, do you find that in general, just like the the person on the street is interested in the gospel? Or I know you said Christianity was the national religion, so do they all consider themselves Christians already? Or do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, most people that you'd meet on the street here in Pretoria would consider themselves Christian. Uh, the whites would have grown up primarily the Afrikaans, uh, Dutch background. They would have grown up in a Dutch Reformed church, uh, which historically had very good doctrine and has uh, has faded dramatically in the last 30 years or uh, a little bit longer. Uh, and so into into liberalism, just like the old line denominations in the United States. And so so they all grew up going to church, uh, and uh, a lot of people would be charismatic uh, um, in the in the black African setting. Um, you know, many, many people do go to church. Um, they go the churches are are often disastrously bad. Some are not even really recognizable as Christian, but they would still call themselves church. It might be very syncretic uh, elements of the African traditional religion being brought in as well. Um, and uh, just an overwhelming health, wealth, and prosperity uh, message dominates the, the, the black churches. And so most people would say they're Christians. Uh, does that mean they have a clear grasp of the gospel? No. Um, some... Um, it's really, you'd have to differentiate, I think, between the whites and the blacks. Uh, black Africans are very willing to talk about spiritual things. Um, they, they still understand that life's most important component is a spiritual component. Um, they understand that, they embrace that, they live that. Um, they think it's ridiculous to try to uh, reject uh, spirituality from life. Uh, so there's the educated elite in the black culture now is embracing a materialism kind of idea, but but uh, but spiritual understanding that there are spiritual realities very alive in the black African culture. Um, the white culture is uh, it's like you know it's like America. Um, you know you know our money says in God we trust, but uh, uh, we trust our money more than we trust our God. Um, you know Christianity is just this superficial kind of. Uh, um, you know, traditional cultural thing. And so depending on the person you're dealing with, uh, that's what you're going to hit. Um, 
but most people would be willing to talk about religion um, in some form or another. Um, many would be uh, uh, would have their mind already made up about what they believe, and that makes it harder then, of course, to evangelize them because their beliefs often are not biblical. So, do you offer or do you have some sort of evangelism effort going on in your church? You know, where you reach out to people that wouldn't come to visit or. You know, what are you guys doing about all this? Yeah, what we do is encourage uh, encourage the people to uh, um, to be our evangelists. You know, I always compare it to uh, um, to um, to going on a picnic. And when you go on a picnic, you take your dog with. And if your dog's getting into your hamburger and you eat your hot dog or whatever, you can tie it up to a tree. You know, that's not a problem. But how do you keep the ants? away from your, your hamburger and your potato chips. You know, there's a million of them. And so uh, I say, you know, if you just if you just depend on the big dog, the preacher to, to, to be the evangelist or some kind of, you know, specific program, uh, I think you limit the, the church. And uh, what I prefer to do is have all the ants scurry out of the anthill and, and go and preach the gospel and evangelize. The church gathers to worship and scatters to evangelize. And so... So we uh, we have a regular training in evangelism, a class that we that we offer uh, um, at least once a year, in which we try to train our people to be able to 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 proclaim the gospel clearly to to their friends and their family, and uh, and so uh, so that's our our major uh, our, our major outreach really, because uh, you know the people in my church they talk to they talk to dozens of people every day who all never meet. And so we just really want them living Christ and proclaiming Christ. And I think they're faithful to do that. And we've seen uh, seen a lot of people um, through the years, I mean, in proportion to the size of our church, you know, come to know Christ through through the faithfulness of, uh, of God's people. And, of course, he uses the preaching of the word on Sunday. People invite their friends and, and uh, they come and they hear the word of God and they think this guy is, you know, this guy's insane. You know, they can't believe that, you know, what, what they hear from the pulpit, this preacher guy who actually believes the Bible because it's so different than what they're getting and uh, whatever background they're coming from. But, uh, of course, the Spirit of God does his work in their heart and starts to entice them. And then they come back again and again. And eventually uh, uh, God does a work and breaks down the barriers of unbelief and draws them to Christ. So. Um, so, but our, our my emphasis as a, as a pastor has always been: I want the people being our primary evangelists. Uh, the ants need to go out and just take over the picnic <laughs> and preach Christ. That's a great illustration of that. Thanks. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your church? Um, about how many people do you have? Do you have both white and black Africans there? And you know, just tell us a little bit about that and about what you occupy your time with there in the church. Yeah, our church is about uh, 200 people on a Sunday morning. Um, in the early years, like I said, we started with about 25 um, people. They were mostly high school and college students. Uh, um, they didn't have a lot of money to pay us, but they didn't have a lot of baggage either. And so you opened the Bible and said, you know, here's what it says. And they looked at their Bible and they looked up at me and they said, oh, okay, uh, let's do it, you know. Um, so God's just gradually built the church up through the years. Uh, we've planted a couple of churches uh, and sent some folks out. Um, but uh, if you came on a Sunday morning, uh, it would be about 200 people. And 
and you know we have a time of singing uh, we sing all the kind of those great you know either hymns of the faith or some of the newer you know really good songs that are being written uh, um, by sovereign grace and those kind of guys and then uh, and then I preach for an hour uh, when a student is fully trained he'll be like his teacher and I was trained under John MacArthur and so I just open the Word of God and expound it as best I'm able by the power of the Spirit and so um, our church is uh, it's a great mix of, uh, you know, there's, there are 11 official languages in South Africa, which tells you a lot about the country. Um, it's very diverse uh, as far as different tribes and so on. And uh, there's two white tribes, that's British descent and Afrikaans or Dutch descent. Uh, and then... Uh, and then a dozen, uh, you know, or more uh, black tribes. And so our church is primarily white because the area in the city that we live in is uh, is primarily white. Um, and uh, But we have about 15% uh, of the, the church. So, you know, 30 or so of the, of the people in the church would be black, um, black families and some singles as well. And, uh, and so... Uh, um, so that's and that's that's pretty well integrated. I mean, there, there's still apartheid is over in South Africa, but there's all the challenges that uh, you would normally have between different races, and of course, Christ breaks down those barriers, uh, and uh, and that's I think very true in our church. Uh, um, and uh, the black families that come always are amazed at how welcomed they are, and uh, and, and so on. Yeah. It's a uh, um, it's not uh, it's not always easy for a black family to um, to attend a white church just because of the all the kind of the long term built up animosity. Something like in the you know in the deep south in the southern United States where uh, just there's long term lines that don't easily disappear. Uh, once they're in the church, those lines of course are erased, and and Christ conquers all of that. But there are also other issues. Uh, um, the uh, uh, Music style is very, very different. Uh, Africans love the kind of simple, repetitive, sort of rhythmic sort of singing um, that by, you know, the third repetition is driving me crazy. Um, the, the, the harmonies are incredible, um, but uh, with the repetition, they love it, and it, you know, drives the... Uh, a guy like me uh, a, a bit crazy uh, and uh, the style of preaching is also very different um, in the black churches so that makes it a little challenge uh, a bit of a challenge but um, but uh, we've got a good mix it used to be a very young church uh, and we're still fairly young um, uh, but uh, uh, but now we have a good mix of, of ages, uh, older and younger families and, and singles, black and white, uh, British and Afrikaans. So, yeah, this will this will tell you a lot about our church. Uh, um, uh, I've done three funerals and eighty weddings uh, in my twenty years here, and so I think that tells you something about the age of our age of our church. Ruthie, why don't you tell us a little bit about the women in your church? And as Joel said, you were you're preparing a Bible study right now. Just tell us a little bit. You know, how are those studies organized? Does everyone get together, or are you separated according to ages? Or just tell us what's going on there. Yeah, God has blessed us with a wonderful um, team of women who love the Lord. Um, they're involved in many different. Um, Ministries. A lot of the ladies help with the children ministry, with young adults. Um, we have um, help ministries where the meals are um, help, you know, sent to people who need them in, in need. 
Um, we have two ladies' Bible study. Um, I teach, well, actually three. I teach a Thursday morning Bible study. Uh, it started as an older women Bible study with ladies um, about 60 and older. And, uh, but now we have younger women who are really um, being part of the Bible study and enjoying it very much. And I just want to say my wife is not 60 or older. You just need to know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit younger than 60, yes. <laughs> and um, we, uh, we are studying the book of James. And we do that on Thursday mornings. And there's uh, another Bible study on Tuesday nights for the ladies who have to work during the day. And um, it's led by another um, lady in our church. And it's also a mixed group, but it's mostly younger, younger women without families that can be away in the evenings. And then I also teach a parenting class for mothers on Saturday mornings once a month. And I try to um, meet with the ladies during the, the different weeks before the Bible study. So uh, I just love it. We have a lot of wonderful women who love the Word of God. Um, about evangelism, the Bible study on Thursday mornings, we are about 15 ladies. And I think just about 90% of them are about the only believers in their home. So they really um, share the gospel with their husbands, with their children. Yeah, adult children, sometimes older parents who think they are believers, but they are really don't understand the gospel. And, you know, they're in the late 80s, they're about to die, and they're really trying to reach out to them with the word of God and the gospel. So, um, yes, although we have a, you know, a wonderful group of ladies, many of them are not are in families where the rest of the family is not saved, and they have lots of opportunities to share Christ um, with them. So, yeah, that's that's great. That's real encouraging to hear. What a great group you have there, and um, how busy you are with them, and just being an encouragement. And I'm sure that the parenting classes are very necessary. I know. You know, and it seems like in the churches these days, we have so many people that come out of homes that are non-Christian and they just never were trained to discipline or, you know, even some of the young women aren't sure how to dress properly and things like that. So what a blessing to have you there and just, you know, things that some people take for granted, others just don't know, you know. Yeah. For the parenting class, we're using uh, Grace Church uh, material, uh, Biblical Parenting for Life, which has been a amazing blessing to the ladies here. I think the majority of them grew up in non-Christian or pseudo-Christian homes, but really with parents who didn't understand the word, the gospel, uh, Christian living, disciplining, any any of those things. So it's a very encouraging Bible study um, just to teach the young moms. We have a lot of uh, babies in our church. Every year, a new crop of babies come. So uh, it's a fun, fun Bible study. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. Joel, I wanted to ask you about your, your booklets quickly. Our time is going by so quickly, I can hardly believe it. But I saw some of those online. I actually started reading some of them. And I wondered, um, I, I don't know, how many are there, 12 or something different booklets dealing with different problems you might have as a Christian or things you might be concerned about? And um, I wanted to ask you, were those specifically written for people in South Africa, or is that something that are, is being distributed here in the States as well? 
Well, I wrote those out of my preaching and counseling ministry. Uh, you know, sometimes it's just I get tired of answering the same question over and over. As I, and so I thought I'd just write on it, you know. And so, for example, infant baptism was a big one when we came here. But all the charismatic issues and things like that, what I found is that not everyone's willing to read the excellent 200, 300, 400-page books on a lot of different issues. And so so I've tried to condense uh, things down into 30, 40, or 50 pages in those little booklets. And it seems to be helpful to people. Uh, they're there on our, our website for free download. Uh, everyone loves the dating booklet. That's the most popular one. Uh, that actually is... Uh, has been published uh, in the States. Uh, uh, they one did a little thing. I think Shepherd's Press is now going to pick it up as well uh, and, and take that over. So, so those, are, uh, those are available. Uh, um, yeah, like I said, we put them on our website for free, and uh, anyone can download them. So uh, to all the ladies, they're there. You know, they, they want to get for their, uh, for their children or grandchildren or whatever. The booklet on dating is the one that, uh, that, uh, that they've, that they want to download. Then there's others there, like I said, on charismatic gifts or false teachers and overcoming right. anger, how to deal with trials from the book of Job. Uh, like I said, just a lot of things. Some of the best, uh, the sermon series that I've done through the years that seem to be helpful to people. And, and, uh, and like I said, that I just faced all the time in counseling. I thought, well, let me just write something on this. So uh, I enjoy writing a little bit, and I hope it's a blessing to some people. I think it's a great idea because I myself would rather read 40 or 50 pages than 200 on, you know, what you just want the answer. You don't want to read about it for a week or something. So <laughs> I wrote for you, Jill. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, also, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Grace School of Ministry, um, how many students you normally have during each session, and um, it sounds like you're doing training for a week here and a week there, and do these men commute to you, or just tell us what's going on. Yeah, Grace School of Ministry is our, our training ministry um, of our church, and it's uh, there's really three different uh, three different classes. We meet in modules, so it's not like an ongoing you know day after day, um, but it's set up so people can come in um, who have jobs or pastors who are employed. And so there's a class in expository preaching, and that uh, uh, that's two weeks. Uh, one week is in September, and the other week is in January. And uh, so I teach uh, teach them how to how to handle the the text of scripture, some block diagramming, how to uh, how to handle the text, and then uh, how to work that into a, into a sermon. So a lot of guys here would say they're doing expository preaching, but not all of them actually know quite what that means. And so um, so it's exciting to see guys get guys who who believe in the Word of God, who have pretty good theology. Uh, um, you know, they might be Reformed Baptist or some other you know one of the, the solid churches here. Or some background like that. Um, so they've got their theology in line. They, they love the Word of God, but no one's ever actually taught them to, you know, like a little boy in the sandbox, just get down and dig your hands down deep into the sand and, uh, and really get to play. Uh, no one's taught them how to handle the Word of God and, in that way. And so it's just so exciting to see them uh, really gain confidence in their ability to handle the Scripture rather than just interpreting a commentary. They actually start to interpret the Scripture. And so, so that's the preaching class. Uh, that's my favorite um, we also do a biblical counseling class, 
Um, that's a five-week class, uh, so it meets uh, uh, over two years. There'll be five weeks, and so people will come, and they'll stay with people in our church. Uh, we normally have about 10, 10 to 12 guys in the preaching class, the counseling class, uh, except ladies and that as well, so that's always bigger. I think in the last class, we started with 45 and ended with about uh, uh, 30 or so, uh, which is a pretty typical kind of attrition for a, a two-year class. Um, but that... Uh, uh, in that class, we you know, we cover just the basics of using the Bible in in, uh, in in counseling, and so we do with all spiritual growth issues and and uh, uh, and how to uh, how to grow in Christ and how to counsel using the Word of God. Um, and then the third class that we do is uh, uh, is in August each year, and we try to bring a professor from the Master Seminary or somebody like that um, out from the United States to teach a one-week uh, class. For example, uh, Bill Barrick will be coming this August, and he's going to do his his stuff on uh, creation and the flood and that sort of thing. And uh, he's done a class in the Psalms previously. Uh, uh, Jerry Rag, who was on staff at Grace Church. Uh, um, years ago, uh, Jerry came and did a, a, a week-long course on on church leadership uh, on pastoral ministry for us. So, uh, so we do classes like that, and that's aimed at, at pastors and serious lay people who really who really want to get in a little bit deeper. Uh, and so that's just our way to, to try to be a blessing to the body of Christ around us here in South Africa. Um, and so we might have, you know, 40 people come, 40, 50 people come, and they stay with the families in the church. And so um, there's basically only two months out of the year where we're not hosting something at Grace Fellowship or either a Shepherds Conference that we run here or the, the Grace School Ministry classes where our church then you know, picks them up at the airport and they stay with them for the week and all that sort of thing. And that really ministers to the students on two levels. Uh, they get the information in the classroom, but it's just as instructional for them to see the life of the church and to be in people's homes and, you know, they come out of there saying, wow, we could never do this in my church, they'll say to me. You know, people would never rally around and open their home up for a week, and the ladies come and, you know, cook these great meals in the kitchen. Or, you know, our one unchanging rule for a great school of ministry is nobody leaves having lost weight that week. I mean, they just make incredible food all week long in the kitchen, and they giggle and laugh and have fun. And so that's just a real testimony as well, because people get to not only hear the truth, but they get to see the truth of church life lived out, and, and that's a great blessing, obviously for our church as they serve, and then for other churches as we serve them. We recently did that with our training is because Christ Seminary was already here up in Polokwane, and the ladies, of course, would know Dave Beakley and the, uh, the guys who have served up at Christ Seminary for many years. And they're already doing a kind of a, you know, a four-year seminary training, so we wanted to do something that would complement that, um, and uh, this sort of modular approach, taking some specific areas like preaching and counseling was, was a way for us to complement that. Uh, uh, we're working at this point on the possibility of working with Christ Seminary to actually start a full-time seminary down here in Pretoria and Johannesburg, which is the by far the largest uh, population base in the country and and really is the center of southern Africa as well. And so so we're working on that uh, with Dave Beakley and the guys up there. Uh, I'll probably have a meeting with them this month and we're going to try to to hammer out some of the details on that. Uh, and that's a very exciting development for us because we'd love to go beyond the kind of modular training to something more specific uh, um, that's located down in this area. Uh, and uh, so if the ladies want to pray for something, they can pray for that, about the possibility of expanding our seminary training here in South Africa to another location here. 
Well, that sounds very exciting. I'm sorry. Did you say something, Ruthie? No. Oh, sorry. Um, That sounds very exciting. Um, You know, I wish that we could all just get on an airplane and come and visit your church because it sounds like the Lord is really using you and just hearing about everything that's going on has been a huge encouragement. And I'm so glad we got to talk to you guys today and um, that it wasn't even that late there. <laughs> Glad it wasn't didn't start at 10 or whatever it was going to. I have to oh, tell the ladies, goodness. I contacted Joel and I asked him if he would Skype with us. And I, at first I thought it was going to be 10 p.m. his time. He asked if he could wear his pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we well, normally turn into a pumpkin at 10. And so <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time. I mean, it, I wouldn't even care if you had your pajamas on, actually. <laughs> How else can we pray for you guys? Well, we're going to live uh, for America in about 10 weeks. So pray for us as we um, have a lot of ministry to do in the next 10 weeks and for physical strength, joyful hearts. And to, to get everything ready, we're going to be in America for about two and a half months. And also for our time in the States to be a blessing to the people we meet in all the different places we're going to be. For the GMI conference, we're going to be there uh, in July as well. We're looking forward to that. You can pray for our, our daughter, Rebecca, as she is with, uh, um, as I said, with Ruthie's parents. Uh, they retired in Oregon. And so she's there, and she's working, trying to save some money. She'd like to attend the master's college in August. So, uh, we're not sure if uh, if that will be uh, if that will be possible, but she's trying her best, and uh, we'll see what happens uh, there. But she's far away from home. She's happy, doing great. She's kind of a steady, level-headed, cheerful girl, and so. So she's, uh, in fact, we wish she were missing mom and dad a bit more, I think. <laughs> she's doing very, very well. Um, so you can pray for her and pray for our son, Daniel, and just his, his spiritual development that, uh, you know, it's easy to be a, uh, to be a, a Christian in, the, in, in our home and growing up, and he doesn't know anything different. Uh, we're not sure what that will look like when he's tested out in the world, uh, whether he stays here in South Africa, goes back for university in the States. We're not sure what he'll want to do. But uh, we'd like to see that his faith is strong before that happens. And so ladies want to pray for that. That would be a great blessing to us as well. Well, can we pray for you right now before we say goodbye? Mm -hmm. Lord, we just thank you so much for Ruthie and Joel. And we thank you so much just for working in their hearts and giving them um, just a real love for you and for your ministry and for your people, Lord. And We just pray that you continue to um, care for them and keep them well and safe, Lord, and uh, bless them, Lord. Continue to bless them, we pray, and continue to work in the hearts of those around them that need you, Lord. And we just pray that you continue to bring people to their church so that they might grow in you, Lord. And um, we pray also for the ministry that they need to kind of wrap up before they, they come to the States. We pray that you'd have your hand on them as as they do these things and that um, you would bless bless these ministries as they um, kind of finish things up 
And Lord, we just pray that you would have your hand on them as they travel here and keep them safe while they're traveling around and visiting with people and help them to be an encouragement and a light to all those they see, Lord. And just pray also that they would be blessed at the conference and encouraged also to continue to minister and serve you, Lord. We just pray also for the possible expansion of the seminary, and uh, we just pray that you would give give them wisdom as they talk and pray about these things, and that, Lord, if it might be your will, you would work all those details out, and that it would glorify you, Lord, we pray. And uh, we pray for Rebecca. We thank you so much that she has a desire to go to Master's, and we just pray, Lord, that if it might be your will, you would allow that to happen. And um, if not, Lord, we pray that you'd provide some place where she might also get a Christian education, Lord, please. And um, just pray also for Daniel. We pray that you would continue to work in his heart and help him to become a man for you, Lord, just to be a, a strong Christian man like his dad. We thank you so much for the blessing of these two children, and um, thank you for this opportunity to talk to the James. In your name we pray. Amen.